following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. being patient with us as we have studied Timothy this past couple of months, fourth and fifth graders, you can find the exits. It's been a good opportunity for us as a congregation to look at these passages of scripture and revisit even our structure, whether that be through deacons or elders or how we care for widows. It's a good book. Bethany looked at me the other day and she just left so we can say this. I can't wait till I love the study of Timothy Jordan, but I can't wait till we're done. I said it's coming. And let me give you just a little glimpse of what is to come. We're going to finish Timothy at the end of this month. And then we're going to move into a series called Christmas in the Letters. We're going to talk about some of the letters in the New Testament that were written to us. And how they talk about Jesus, the Son, who came and died for us and also came to us in the form of a virgin being married. It's going to be a great month in December. It's going to be a great month in November. And then in the first of the year, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark and we're going to walk through that one chapter a week and hopefully pull some great application for our everyday lives. The passage of Scripture this morning that is going to be communicated is a tough one. I called my dad up and I said, Dad, I don't feel like I could preach this message. Can you come in and do my dirty work? <laughs> he said no. <laughs> and I was a little devastated. So I offered him a large sum of money, and here he is. <laughs> my dad is a godly man. He loves the Lord. Jess Crawman was kind of upset with me because she said, Jordan, whenever your dad comes to preach, my volunteers don't want to volunteer in children's ministry. They would rather come listen to him. <laughs> They said, what's that say about me? <laughs> My dad just resigned his post as pastor of Countryside Bible Church after 27 years of faithful service. He's a wonderful man of God. He loves my mom to death, and he puts up with my whatever word you want to insert. <laughs> Would you welcome him this morning as he brings God's word to be 
be teaching. I have a job offer to teach in a Christian school starting in January. And one of the decisions that or led to this decision was this summer my wife and I, she's a school teacher, and we drove down to teacher retirement in Springfield, Illinois to find out how many more years she had to teach to finish all the requirements for pension and all of that. I made a mistake. I married a woman much younger than I am. And so she's... She, and because of that, she has to teach five more years. And I said, there is absolutely no way I am going to pastor so much and I know I've snuck away from my church a lot. One of you commented on that a while back, but I want to sneak away more because the incentive here is not the pay he's giving me. The incentive is two little girls. <laughs> and what caused the decision was I'm not waiting that much longer to be here more often. So I have bad news for you. You're going to see us more often. So. I did leave the pastorate after 41 years of pastoring. I started when I was nine. <laughs> I had to say that. But I will tell you, it was the hardest, the most agonizing decision I have ever made. It was really, really tough. So we want to talk today about the pastor, but before we do, um, I do want to say that you sang a song at the beginning that you picked, and you used the word free. And when a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are free from what? The penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Eternal separation in hell from God. Because we're sinners, we're separated from God. And every sermon since about 38 years ago, having been challenged by uh, a, a friend of mine who went to college and seminary with me to place in the sermon, in the Sunday worship, the gospel every week. His name is Joe Stoll. You may know him. And Joe said, share the gospel, the good news. And the bad news is we're sinners separated from God. The good news is God demonstrated his love to you and to me. But even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means in your place and in mine. The reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth was not to start a religion or to teach us how to live. He came to this earth to be the substitutionary payment for your sin and for mine. And the good news is, then by grace are we saved. That's delivered from the penalty of sin through faith. That means to trust in or depend upon and then not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by working for it. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't live enough, a good enough life to get to heaven. For if you could, there was no reason for Jesus Christ to have died. Just live a good life. But the reason that Jesus Christ came to this earth was to be the substitutionary payment for your sin and for mine. And so then we are free from the penalty of sin. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are actually free from the power of sin. It does not have to be. And that's the best news I can share with you. Because Jordan has given me a task today that's really tough. 
But the reason that I share that gospel with you today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've been coming to this church all of your life. I've told you the story about Jordan. He was in ninth grade, heard this week after we went to camp and prayed a prayer and thought he trusted Christ, but he was trusting in the prayer and not Christ. And it wasn't until he was in his 20s that he put his trust in Christ. And you can be sitting in this congregation having prayed a prayer, trusting in some words, but not having trusted in Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you after church today and share with you the best message in the world that you can know him. But when we come to the book of 1 Timothy, now we're in uh, a tough situation. We're talking about the church, and when I told you that I've retired from the pastorate, I retired from the church that I pastored for 27 years. Do you know why it worked for 27 years? That church let me be me. You know that no two pastors are alike and no two people are alike. And God gave us different personalities and temperaments. And I was studying the life of Christ and I read Romans 8, 29 says, I am to be conformed to the image of Christ, so I have to study what Christ is like. Do you know where Christ spent his time? Out with the people. In the communities he walked into. And for 27 years, God has allowed me the privilege, and it was really tough at first. We came to a church of 32 people. They paid me an amazing salary of $12,000 a year, no benefits. I had to go to work. I delivered newspapers, and I had Jordan delivering newspapers, and our daughter Brenda delivering newspapers, and I was a youth pastor, and I worked for an organization uh, that worked with drug and rehab people. I actually sold suits in a store, and I then became a substitute school teacher. And it invaded the community, and on the 21st of November, they're having an open house for me for the community, because 70% of my work in 27 years was out there. And that church allowed me to practice 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am. I could be me. And that's the blessing of God. So now we are in a situation where we can still be us and reach out into our community for Jesus Christ. Now we may be moving up to Moline, Illinois, or that area, uh, where the school is I'm going to teach in and near where my wife teaches. But wherever we are, we want to invade the community for Jesus Christ. My wife and I have made a commitment that one-third of our closest, intimate, personal friends do not know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to keep that up. But I want to tell you, the pastor, it's not easy. I'm leading to this test. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I snuck into this community to see those two little girls. I had been up in Bering Springs, Michigan with my brother. What do you think I was doing? Michigan, of course. Is there anything else in life? Anyway. Um, and I sat down at dinner with my brother. We were talking about my resigning and all the fun. He said, he's been in church work all his life, not as a pastor. He is 77, something like that. And he looked at me and he said, I've watched churches for 60 years. And he said, I find churches call a pastor. They want him to preach, to teach, to do the weddings, do the funerals, visit the homes, go to the hospitals. And then they want him to administrate the church. But he said, here's what I've noticed. If he doesn't administrate the church, 
the way they want them to, watch out. And you see, we're all different. We all do things differently. And I want to tell you, as a pastor, it's tough. As you know, I'm a preacher's kid, and now we're in the third generation here. And it's very interesting. My mother said to me, after Dad retired from the pastorate, I think the joys outweighed the struggles. Wow. What a statement. And it made me think very much. So Jordan has given me a tough passage of Scripture because this is not a position of glory. Because I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to repeat it later in the sermon probably. I am excited that my son is a pastor. I am scared that my son, and I say this in the right way, is a pastor. And those two things go through my mind regularly. For the instruction in the section we are looking, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Instruction from the text will tell us where we're going today. <coughs> we want to start with the word, the elders. Before I read the text, I need to define that. The word elders is a word meaning, it comes from a Greek word, presbyteros. What church do you think we get from that? Presbyterian. Okay? The Presbyterian church is run by the elders. But in Acts 17 and Acts 20, we find those terms used synonymously with another term, episcopos. What church do you think we get from that? Episcopalian. The word it means bishop. <coughs> and then they are to be the poimen, or pastors. And those terms are used synonymously in those texts that the pastor is the bishop and the elder. So it says here, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. <coughs> For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. We're not sure why Timothy had it. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hid. <coughs> Dear folks, this is the proclaiming of God's word, and it is an awesome task. It is a frightening task to preach God's word. So, before we look into God's word, let's look to the very one who gave it to us. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad this is your word and not mine. You had instructions from Paul to Timothy that you have to us. Bless our hearts today. Challenge us. May we see this text and understand it. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Today we are talking about the working together of elders and their responsibilities. Actually working together, and I see in your church, elders and deacons. It's interesting in Psalm 133 verse 1 it says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. That there is a working together in harmony and in love. How is this accomplished? Number one, by realizing why we are here. As you are praying for the leadership of your church, not only for your pastor, but for the leadership that's coming, I see two things I look for in people. Because it's the very reason for which you and I are breathing at this very moment. We are here for two reasons. And I've spent my 41 years pastoring with these two principles. One, by evangelizing those who need Christ, and by edifying those who have Christ. If you spend your lives, and if you're looking for leadership in this church, for people who are spending their energy, because God gave us energy, and if we're not doing those two things, then our energy is wasted energy, to evangelize those who need Christ, and they're edifying those who have Christ, they're so busy doing that, that a lot of problems seem to go away. So first of all, by realizing why we are here and keeping our focus on why we are here, that Christ's name is always at stake. The second thing is by practicing Christian love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. How do people know we're Christians? By loving one another. Does that mean we always agree? No. We have differences. We are different in personality and temperament and background. But as God brings us together, we are committed to one another. It's interesting. There's definitions in the Bible for what love is. Listen to this. Love is patient. Love is Kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. I like this next one. It keeps no record of wrong. Is not delight in evil. Oh boy, I hope they get their just desserts. But rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So when you're looking at the decisions you make, always practice Christian love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. But apparently Timothy was having some problems in the church at Ephesus where he was pastoring. He was a young man and had much to learn. And Paul knew that. When I was looking at this text I thought of my first pastorate. I went there in 1974 
in a little dinky town of 500 people in a church that had an attendance of almost 200 people. It was pretty amazing for a town of 500. I had come after a church problem. They were down to about 140. It took us about five years to bring that thing back up to where it had been. And I looked at those people when I left, and then I went back for a reunion, and I said to them, thank you for letting me cut my IT's on you, and for bearing with all the mistakes that I made, and the stupid things I said in the pulpit. And one man reminded me of one of them. <laughs> uh, he remembered the wrong, and <laughs> he shouldn't have, but we had fun with it. That church, I cut my eye teeth on them and they loved me through it. And they bore with me and I praise God for them. And Timothy now, now listen to this, Timothy is following Paul who had just been the pastor in Ephesus. Can you imagine what a job that would be? It's interesting, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, I want you to see quickly, I'm going to read just a few verses for you that show the attitude. When Paul had said this, he knelt down with them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship where he went out on a missionary journey. They were eaten up alive. Paul was gone, and then he sends young Timothy to replace him. Wow. That had to be tough on Timothy. So Paul writes Timothy and counsels him. And you've noticed as you've studied the book of 1 Timothy all that's there. I want to look at three points quickly this morning that he talked to him about. First of all, compensation. Paying the elders. This is the person who directs his life to not only directing the affairs of the church, but primarily in preaching and teaching. And I don't know what you understand about preaching and teaching, but if I preach one half hour, I've probably put in a minimum of eight, usually ten hours a week for one half hour of speaking and study. Because this is God's Word. This is not my Word. It's what God has said, and it's my job to clarify for you what God has already said, and I want to make sure you know what the text means, because I have heard some preaching out there on TV, and I've heard some preaching out there that is so ridiculous. They take a text of Scripture and fly into 40 directions. I went to a conference once in our town of Erie, Pennsylvania, and the theme was Preach the Word. And one pastor came on after another pastor would come on after another pastor, and they took a text, and before I knew it, they were somewhere else. And I left, and a lady came up to me and says, what do you think of this conference? And I said, I don't want to be critical, but I'm still waiting for them to preach the word. <laughs> it is my responsibility, it is your pastor's responsibility to make that word clear and plain. Because his job is to minister to the church family, to minister to the community, and it's God's word that changes lives. So he's teaching and preaching that word. But it's also the positive, that word is alive and vibrant for your life. But notice here, in this text, 
especially for those whose work is preaching and teaching. Jordan, I'm preaching today, and it talks about payment. So, anyway, well, <laughs> gotcha. Anyway, you know what he's going to pay me with? Free lunch and two little girls. But anyway, <laughs> I love it. But notice the text. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's spreading out the grain. Interesting thing. You don't understand what's going on. This ox is going around and around, treading out the grain. And they have grain and they have corn laying there. And if you muzzle that ox, for that ox to do its work, it needs to eat. It's just like you, dear folks, need to eat the Word of God. I heard Tony Evans this week. I can't tell stories like Tony Evans. What I'm going to tell you in about a minute and a half took him at least 15. Have you ever heard Tony preach? And he goes, oh, I mean, he elaborates his story. But he says, you go into a restaurant, and you get a menu, and there's pictures there, and the food looks so good. And then a proclaimer comes along and proclaims the benefits of those meals, and then that proclaimer, who's called a waitress, gives you a testimonial of what's the, her favorite meal. So what you've heard is you've heard, you've seen the pictures, and you've heard the testimonial, and you've heard the proclaiming, and guess what? It's done you no good. Right? Because what you have to do is not only order that food that you've brought in in your menu, the Bible, but you've got to eat it and take it. And when people stand before you and proclaim the Word of God, you've got to take that Word, you've got to eat it, so that it gives you nutrition and strength for your daily lives, so people see Christ in you. But we who are in the pastorate, Every Sunday I pray, God, take hearts, turn those hearts to your word. May they take it in, and may they have grown for having been here, or we wasted your time and theirs too. So as I look back over 41 years of pastoring, I pray lives have been changed, not through my preaching, but through the clarity of the word of God, because there is only one interpretation, folks. There's many applications. But the text has only one interpretation, what's going on then. Notice here too, it says the worker deserves his wages. Why did Jordan not want to preach this passage? Well, duh. How's he going to stand up there and work? So he brings his old father in. But the laborer, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And the church that I just pastored, we came in, as I told you, with 32 people. Couldn't only, paid me a bare salary. Knew I had to go to work. And I have one lady in that church who said, the best thing that ever happened to you was working outside the church because you made more contacts than we could fathom. And this church is growing and developing. And then I look over this church, and there's going to be a farewell service for me. And I'm going to look around at this church now, which is about 170 people and say, you and you and you and you and you, and it's about 50 to 60 you and you, have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, because God pushed me out of the office and out there into the world. And that church let me be me. I love them for that. So now that you know, and it takes 8 to 10 hours to prepare a sermon, and I remember my first churches, do you remember the days? Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? I had four preparations. Wow. Things are getting easier. I only got two in this last church per week. 
I mean, I would kind of add it a third or fourth with some small group leading. But you know, pray for your pastor. I want to ask you this question. Did you come this morning prepared to hear from God? Did you get a good night of rest last night? Were you worried about Donald Trump on SNL? Or did you say, God, I need a good night of rest so I can sit under God's word and let the word change my life? The greatest thing you can do is pray for your pastor. I, I would say this, pay him a good salary so that his parents don't have to help them with anything. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> But pray for him, encourage him, come alongside him. Because now we get to the second point that's pretty difficult. Accusation. Disciplining the elders. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. Do you pray for your pastor? This is so important because Accusations do come. People talk. You do know what Sunday noon dinner is, don't you? Roast preacher. I learned that many, many years ago. You know, pray that God doesn't Take your pastor down a road that will harm the testimony of this church in the name of Jesus Christ. I have seen so many. We were warned way back in seminary, and I graduated from Dallas Seminary in 1973. And we were being warned then about the immorality that was taking place in the ministry. The pastors who were not handling their money well or paying their bills. The pastors who were doing things that harmed their testimony in the community. But if that takes place, then what do you do? Well, you accuse properly with two or three others. Warren Wiersbe tells the story that a lady came up to him in a restaurant one day, who was in, in the church, and she came right up to his face and said, Pastor Wiersbe, you're ruining our church. He said, just a second, I've got a couple of buddies here from the church, I would like them to hear this too. And when he turned around and they came to stand up, she left. But he handled it biblically. Always be sure of things. Have those witnesses. And to Jordan, I say, and to any of the leaders of this church, always be above board. Sometimes things are read into things. Talk openly, honestly. Because verse 21 says, here's what you can do. You can show partiality partiality and favoritism. You get your crew. You get people lined up. Or on your side. And it creates danger. So, first point, compensation. Second point, accusation. Third point, ordination, starting with verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do not share in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure.
school. This is the job of selecting the elders. That's why in 1 Timothy 3, and I'm sure Jordan went through some of the... By the way, do you call him Jordan? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My people called me Ken in the last church, but in the other church I was Pastor Mark. So I just want to know what you call her. I have some other names. But anyway. Um, I'm sorry. But it's selecting. It says in 1 Timothy 3, it should not be a novice. Someone that's young in the Lord. There's such enthusiasm for a new Christian. You say, that'd be a great person. But they need time to grow and develop and mature. And it should be a person whose lifestyle is such that there could be no accusation <coughs> against them. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 3 that his testimony outside is so clear. That he's above reproach. And it's so important. You see, you need spiritual wisdom in selecting your leaders. Because if there's something in the background, it's going to come out. And you don't want to share in their sin. And that's what it's saying. But now he gets to a practical and final issue. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. We do not know what happened to Timothy. We do know he had a stomach problem, and he's saying here, drink a little wine for that. And I, I'm wondering why he's saying, is he talking about little wine so it will be a testimony? Is he talking about because of the stress of the ministry, you've got ulcers? Amen. <laughs> is it? I don't know, it could be. I don't know all the reasons. But he's saying, even here, be careful. Okay? In your testimony. Don't let that be an issue. Solve that problem. And finally, he says, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment and ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. That's what we're saying. You don't want that ever to happen in your ordaining. Ordaining, laying on of hands, simply means you are giving your blessing to that person to help lead the ministry of the church. Now, I want to read a passage that caught my attention to Kind of wrap up some loose ends. But it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. Listen to this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself. Now watch this. Men will praise, not the pastor, praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Who gets the praise? The Lord does. <laughs> and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And we've used this next verse as a Christmas verse, and I don't think it's right at all. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the grace of God.
over and over. In 41 years of pastor, and growing up as a preacher's kid, it's been tough. Last Sunday I said in my last message to my to that congregation, I said, I've been a preacher's kid and a preacher for 68 years. Out of the 68 years I'm alive. I just turned 68. I know I don't look a day over 49, but I'm 68. <laughs> Do you know that in 68 years? I have never, ever lived close, close to a relative. That's the pastor. It's you, your wife, your kids. The nearest relative I had once was in, my dad pastored in Rochester, Minnesota, is my uncle who taught at Bethel College in St. Paul, Minnesota, an hour and a half away. That was the closest relative I've ever lived with. You wonder why I want to get back here and see two little girls grow up? And I want them to model their life after their grandpa instead of their dad. I don't know. <laughs> because as you grow up, you don't have that. And you, dear folks, who have your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and whatever you have around you, and you've got mom and dad here, and you've got everything. Hug them. Love them. Praise God for them. I've never had that. And so when you are looking at compensating your pastor or elders, as you look at accusations that can come in the process of time, and as you look at selecting those leaders, pray for them. But look for people, and here's my repetition, who evangelize those that need Christ and edify those who have Christ. When people do that, you've got godly, godly leaders. I finish with the statement I made earlier. I am thrilled and excited that my son is a pastor. I am scared to death that my son is a pastor. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is so important as you directed young Timothy through the Apostle Paul, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to give your word to present to us your plan for leadership. Thank you for this dear congregation who has loved our family and in the times we've been here have shown that love to us. May they be people who always look to leaders but look to each other as people who evangelize those that need your son and edify those who have. And thank you that we have that Savior to serve. And all God's people say, Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.